Hi there. Happy Thursday. My name is Spencer, and you're tuned in to another episode of The Temple Report. I've been a fan of Matt Mays since high school. I was really excited to get the chance to chat with him on this episode. We touch on everything from his influences, recording with Chris Tenzgarides, who produced records for bands such as Thin Lizzy and Judas Priest, as well as his experience opening up for Levon Helm of the band. Enjoy. So could you just start off and tell me who you are and what is it you do? My name is Matt Mays, and I play guitar and uh, try to sing. <laughs> was music something that you always wanted to do? It was something that, that was always kind of in my life, but I didn't really realize I wanted to do it, I think, probably not until, like, high school. And even at, I, I played in a band in high school, but I... Uh, I kind of really knew it was for me when I first started playing in front of people and I got the itch and it was sort of like started doing open mics and stuff. I, was, I guess I was probably around 18 and I was going to art school and I decided to, to stop that and to do music. And that's when I knew it was for me for the rest of my life, I guess. So how did you get started with going to art school and stuff like that? Well, in grade 12, all my friends kind of knew what they wanted to do, or they were going to this school or that school or whatever, and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, except I knew I liked to, to draw and paint and do cartoons, and I thought it was a good start for me to go, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go to NASCAD for a while and do the foundation year, and, and maybe there I'll get into photography or sculpture or something, because I was kind of really into that, going in that direction. But thinking back now, it was probably just because... I needed somewhere to go. I didn't want to just get out of high school and be like, you know, there was like a gap between after high school and when music or touring kind of took over. So I think I went down that road just just to kind of do something, I guess. Would you yeah. consider yourself a creative person? Yeah, I think so. I'm always coming up with songs or something like I kind of get made fun of because I'm always kind of coming up with like dumb inventions, like harmonicas for dogs or like, <laughs> like you know, stupid stuff. So if there's a piece of wood around and a knife, I'll start whittling it into something, you know. So I'm always kind of doing something that pretty creative, I think, yeah. So your new album, I found the concept interesting. On the cover is a bunch of dogs. <laughs> yeah. how, how did you come up with that idea? I, I had a bunch of cover ideas and stuff, and I, at first it was just going to be my dog, Ruby. And then, I don't know what gave me the idea to to ask my sort of followers or whatever to send in photos of their dogs. So I guess for the listeners at home, the cover consists of 483 photos of dogs, people's dogs, like mugshots. And so I asked people to send in their photos, and they just kind of knew it was going to look kind of funny and kind of awesome, I guess, just to have a cover full of people's dogs. And we had 750 people send their dog photos in. And I feel kind of bad because not everybody's dogs got on the cover, but there was just too many to fit. Um, but what I liked about it was that, like, 
a lot of people could get their dogs on an album cover, which is kind of cool. You know, I would love to get my dog on a cover of somebody I listen to, you know. So it was kind of neat. It brought us dog owners and lovers together for a little, you know, for a piece and moment in time. Yeah, it's like the bond that brings people together, almost like yeah. music, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It's kind of neat to have like a, a bond where it's sort of like all of those dogs will be gone someday. It's nice to have them all on a cover living on forever together. And music's like that too, you know? It's like music is its own sort of entity and, and uh, we'll kind of keep going on after we're gone, you know? So it's, yeah, it was nice to bond with my gang like that, you know? Uh, what's the story behind your uh, latest single? Dana Chiniqua, people have asked me about the name. And uh, it's about being a dog coming from Costa Rica and a couple named Dan Shaniqua rescue this dog, but the song's from the dog's point of view. And Dan and Shaniqua just, I just was going through a bunch of names in my head, but a couple that sounds really friendly, you know, and like who, if I was going to be taken in by a, like a couple, what would I want their names to be or what? Just I, I don't know. Dan and Shaniqua sounded like an interesting, friendly couple that I'd be looking forward to kind of meeting or whatever. So it's just a sort of a journey from the dog's point of view, getting on the plane and everything, and then meeting this couple and then sort of getting settled in with them and onto a sort of a better life. And uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. What's your creative process when coming up with uh, li- lyrics? Oh man, as much as I hate it, it's like. If I sit down and try to write lyrics, they always sound kind of like pretend or dumb or contrived or whatever. Lyrics for me, the ones that I feel like translate the best or sort of have like lasted the test of time with me, I still think are that hold up are ones that sort of just kind of come out in a hurry and like um, they feel like I didn't write them. I kind of feel like I'm sort of channeling them or something. They come out quick from the subconscious mind. If I think of them consciously, it just ends up, like I said, sounding a little like kind of fake and whatever. And what sucks with that is that the subconscious lyrics only come when they want to come out. You can't, there's nothing you can do. You can't like, like rent some hotel room at the Chelsea and get like the notepad and like, oh, I'm going to write a great song right now because anytime you do that, it's going to stink. So you're kind of uh, at the mercy of, of the song itself, you know. And uh, one one thing I find, though, is the more songs that I write or uh, the more I sit down to write, the more you kind of open yourselves up to that sort of song, subconscious sort of thing where hopefully those good songs kind of get delivered to to you. Would you consider yourself a storyteller? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think I have a few songs that tell some stories, but songs are weird. I guess you can still tell a song in maybe two or three verses, you know? And I, I think maybe that's what's cool about songs is that you can let the listener connect the dots instead of being, like, really narrative and, like, spelling it out literally for, for everybody. People can kind of take their own story from something and apply it to... Uh, maybe just sort of like some some bare bone structure or something a little more vague, which I think that's sort of what I do is lay it out there and, and people can take what they want from it, which I don't think is just really kind of storytelling, but maybe sort of s- story facilitating, I guess. It's all about people's point of view. It's like horoscopes or something, you know, you read a horoscope and it's like, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. But, you know, everybody can kind of pull what they yeah. want from it, you know? Yeah. I think songs can kind of be like that too, right? 
Yeah, that's true. Um, I certainly do that. I'm like, this song was written for me. You kind of mold it around your life, which is great because that's the medicinal part of it. It's sort of what helps me feel better, whatever works, right? Yeah, very true. Um, Who are some of your musical influences? I think the beginning, it was uh, like way fewer than it is now. I think I was like really into... Yeah, seven sixties and seventies music like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and and I am a huge Neil Young fan of Bob Dylan and um you know Joni Mitchell and Cat Stevens and and then I kind of got into like country rock music and country music and got into Patsy Cline and um uh you know Johnny Cash and all all that scene and and Graham Parsons and the Birds and then I got really into reggae music and all through that whole time I I played in a funk band for a while so I got introduced to all sorts of great funk music and the meters and and then into R&B and I got into collecting a lot of reggae music on vinyl and 45s and then into electronic music and you know once you realize that music is just music and the instruments kind of the rhythms change and the instruments change it really just comes down to a great song you know, pervade in a in a great way, you know. And you kind of, the more you realize that, I find the more you sort of broaden your horizons, you know. Yeah, I noticed when I listen to Cocaine Cowgirl or Building a Boat, it sounds a little more like rockabilly, sort of classic rock. Um, yeah, those, like our influences at that time with Cocaine Cowgirl and stuff was you know, really Americana kind of stuff. Like we were really in Tom Petty and we were just a really kind of guns blazing guitar band, you know, we didn't think about like parts as much as we did just like getting things like going, just driving highway songs and stuff. Cause we were really the ACDC and, um, and building a boat was, you know, a lot of ZZ top referencing in that one. We got like the sequencer going on a lot of those eighties, uh, easy top songs and um but yeah yeah that was that was just sort of what the band sounded like we really just wanted to get really straight ahead rock and roll music like no ifs ands or buts about what we were doing just kind of like no chance to second guess it just like turn on the amps up and just play them and it was just such a fun band to play in because it's the songs were all easy you didn't have to think much you just had to like concentrate on just really enjoying it and being into it which is also easy that was a good era for us that was fun yeah some of my favorite songs by you i started listening to cocaine cowgirl and the album terminal romance back in high school so those albums really mean a lot to me and i just wondered what are some of the stories behind those songs well the Terminal Romance album, it was sort of a bit of a different concept. We wanted the guitars to be even gnarlier and louder. And we tracked down a guy named Chris Tangaridis. Uh He's not with us anymore, unfortunately. He's such a great man. But um, we were listening to a lot of Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy and British metal and hard rock music. And so we found him because he produced Judas Priest and Thin Lizzy and Phil Linnet Records. And he kind of had that sound down. So we kind of wanted that really harsh 80s guitar music sound. And uh, he definitely he got that because that album's got some bite for sure. Um, but that was a really 
fun record to record. We went to his studio in England in a place called Kingsdown, this little village near the White Cliffs of Dover. And we lived in this, it was an old Boy Scout camp, and we all lived together in bunk beds and worked on the songs, and uh, it was really isolated. I remember the guys took off to go home, and I stayed behind to do, like, guitar solos and uh, the vocals in the album. And uh, I was living in the Boy Scout camp on my own, and it was really creepy. And so I wrote a lot of sort of, well, there's like a werewolf song on there. And, uh, but it really kind of gave me some time to live inside of that album and finish the lyrics. How did that time at the camp help shape you as a songwriter? Um, there's a few lessons I learned, really. It was like, I think before I... I I think I could have left a little more on the cutting room floor. I, I think we really worked hard just to try to really cut the fat and make everything like I think like Tall Trees is under three minutes long. And it's really hard to make a song that uh, that feels like it's really complete and not make it like four minutes because you want the bridge and you want to go back to that verse or whatever. But it's really, really hard to make a song two minutes, 59 seconds. And I think that was my biggest lesson, even though Terminal Romance is like a really long song. Um, I think I learned a lot about cutting things down and being more efficient, I guess, with that. I think, which is, if you're playing rock and roll music, it's, I think it's a big part of it. It's part of like the power and the pungency of, of what you do is to be like, bam, and then bam, instead of just one big wash of stuff, you know? So you gotta give people an ear break. You know, the Ramones were really good at that. All their songs were two minutes, you know, because they had to be, or it'd be like, well, this is too much, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I mean, like, you're the artist, so you have to be happy with it. You know, like me as a fan, the songs sound complete. Doesn't sound like there's anything left out. But you as a musician, you have to be incredibly happy with what you put out. You got to be happy with it, but you never are. Like it's it's I think it's like any art. I compare it to a painter who like where it's like easy to have all your paints in front of you and you have your canvas and you're painting and it's like it's really hard to put your paintbrush down and be like okay this is done there's always like one more thing that you can add to it you know or you sleep on it and you get up the next day and you're like oh man i gotta change that it's the same with an album like you listen to it and it's like ah that tambourine's too loud or like anything and you get you get crazed about it, but it, it's it means you love it, and you're super super deep inside of it, and that's what hopefully people can hear is your love and passion for it. But you gotta know when to put the paintbrush down because if not, it'll <laughs> go crazy. You know, he'll go crazy. And every every band I think I've ever listened to has probably had to have that hard conversation with themselves, going like, uh, I you know it's i guess it's i guess it's done you know I, I guess we just have to put it out because if not we'll be working on this till we're old and gray so it's a for me anyways it's hard it's hard to let it go sometimes but but then you hear it 10 years later and you're just like i can't believe i was worried about that tambourine you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> i know playing live isn't so much of a thing now with covid but what's your favorite things about playing live well, I'll tell you, I haven't done, I haven't done three months off playing live in 20 years, you know, even more than two or three months. Luckily, the Atlantic bubble, you know, being from Nova Scotia, I went back a few times and played uh, at home, which was great because I got to actually play again. But having all this time off is, it really, 
it's been a really good thing in some ways. I've never really doubted that I'm going to be playing in a rock and roll band for the rest of my life, and I feel very lucky about that. But it's also scary to think about sometimes because it's such a wild, weird profession. Uh, however, I think this time to think about it really helped me sort of solidify that. Thinking back to all the incredible moments I've had, even just the year before the lockdown, the tour of the sky and I went on together with our bands, like so many magical moments. And and I remember we didn't take any of that for granted because we love it. We felt lucky to be there. But um, just uh, thinking back to shows when I was 19 and how special it was and the connection with the audience and how insane it is uh, to be a part of that and how I've ended up doing it. I just, I've had the time to really feel lucky enough to, to get to do that and to, to hopefully make, you know, some people feel better and they make me feel better. And it's just in turn, it's this magical kind of thing. So all I know is that I'm not going to stop doing it now. And, and I'm going to just, I'm going to be better at it and be, you know, do what I can to, to just keep getting better at it, I suppose. How did you connect up with Sky? Uh, I heard about Sky just from around town kind of thing. We have the same agent, and Jack, our agent, he doesn't usually spend time working with just anybody. You know, he's really picks his bands really well. And then I think we just lived literally one block away and didn't really know it. And she worked at the coffee shop down the end of my street. And then Jack suggested that Sky come on the tour. And that's when her and I got to know each other a little more before the tour. And I would go down and have a coffee and hang out and and then got to know her band really well on the road. And they're just the biggest bunch of sweethearts ever. And they're tough as nails, too, that band. It snowed the entire tour. And they didn't miss one sound check. They weren't late for one sound check. I, I can't say enough about how I respect their road prowessness at such a young age. It was inspiring to see. Because a lot of bands would have canceled shows because, I mean, they were going through some hairy, hairy drives. And, and then they would go on to, you know, dazzle crowds that same night. They just put it into their playing, I guess, because they would show up super jolly and awesome and sweet as they are. Sky and I have been working a bit together on tunes. And it's nice to have somebody who believes in rock and roll like she does. I love being around that energy because it's a bit of a, a lost art these days, but I feel like not with her, not with her band, you know. She has the rock and roll spirit, the flair, and it's it's great. It's awesome to be around. It's it's inspiring. So it's been a nice addition to my friend circle, for sure, her and her band. It's been great. So great. You gotta love it. Music just, like, brings people together. Yeah, man, I'm addicted to that, man. I'm addicted to that. I did a a podcast last night with my friend Danny, who's part of the Gaslight Anthems uh, gang. And we were talking about how special it was to to meet those guys. They're just a bunch of uh, dudes from New Jersey, and we're just a bunch of dudes from Dartmouth and Nova Scotia. And we were just like brothers by the end of the tour. And, and then, not to mention the shows themselves, we all celebrate that real unconditional love for, for songs and music. And and that's all you need for that guy. It's such a, a common thread can really do a lot of good, you know throughout the whole world especially now right so and it works on so many different levels whether it's a song in an elevator that you like playing on a if you're having a bad day or if you know you're at an arena where there's you know 20,000 people going bananas 
whether you're in the crowd or on stage, it's just like it has so many levels of it. It's crazy. Or sometimes when you hear two frogs that are riveting in like separate and then they start riveting together for a while and then they separate again, it's sort of like that magic moment when they're together in rhythm. That's just as musical as that 20,000 seat stadium to me, you know, it's pretty special. Do you have any stories from the road that you'd uh, be comfortable sharing with me right now? Yeah, there's a lot. I think that one of the more special ones was we were in playing in New York City and uh, Levon Helm from the band, the band, heard we Whoa. were in town and yeah, and he... Crazy. <laughs> yeah, he he invited us to this thing called the Midnight Ramble and it's like his concert at his, at his barn in Woodstock. Um, and Jimmy Vivino, he knew about our band. Jimmy Vivino, he was in the Max Weinberg 7, uh, Conan O'Brien's band. And uh, he's still Conan O'Brien's band leader now or whatever. But he used to come in and sit, sit in with us because he was like a fan of the band. And and he also played it with Levon all the time at, at Levon's place. Uh, and so, yeah, Levon invited us. He heard we were Canadian and he invited us to come play the Midnight Ramble with him. So we were like, holy moly, this is awesome. So we stayed up all night practicing and practicing because we were like, oh, man, we're playing for Levon Helm here. Um, and, we, yeah, we went up and we just, we yeah, we played the barn and we didn't know if we were going to meet him or not. But right before the show, he invited us to the kitchen to say hello. And we were all losing it because he's like our biggest hero. And then we played and then he played. And while he was playing, he, uh, he was playing drums, obviously. And, and he was hollering at me to get on stage and, like, he picked up a guitar and he started screaming at me to play solo. So all of a sudden, I'm just going like, rootney, 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 rootney. <laughs> just like playing some, I forgot, it was just some blues jam or something. We were doing some standard that I didn't know. But anyways, you just have that, that moment where you're like eye-to-eye contact with uh, Levon Helm, you know, at his house. And then after that, he invited us to hang out at his kitchen table and he just told us road stories for like two hours just sitting around his kitchen table everybody was gone and it was just us and him and and uh we were there till like midnight just talking to Levon Helm about the road and he was giving us advice and he was like just super nice and and then uh up until he passed away he would he would always uh you know we'd hear through Jimmy or my friend Abe that he was always asking how how's Maddie and the boys doing he would always see how we were doing and it just you know maybe feel a lot you know because you get you some bad reviews you you know you're down on yourself but when like Levon Helm is a fan and and invites you to come play his house and uh it really is good for the the confidence when your hero really is in your corner and and uh it's a uh, pretty surreal to think back I don't think we took one photo because we were too nervous I really wish we had a photo but at the same time it's kind of neat to sell it living as a dream in my mind I suppose but that that was I think one of the most special stories on the road that one of those phone calls you get where you're like Oh, this is awesome. You know, I think we played Conan O'Brien the same week because Jimmy really hooked us up <laughs> that week, I guess you could say, because we played Conan O'Brien. And I think two days after we played the Midnight Ramble. So it was a quite a milestone weekend for us, to say the least. That must have been a whirlwind experience. <laughs> it sure was, Spencer. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I just wake up in the morning and I have my coffee and I'm like, wow, that actually happened. What was Levon like, you know, as a person? He was super, super kind, man. Really uh, just very humble. I remember just looking at his hands and how many 
shows he's played like like hundreds of thousands of shows but his zero zero ego it's just so nice and he was just giving us tips and and he remembered venues in our hometown like he was like i remember the misty moon at the club in halifax my hometown in in the 70s you know in the 80s it's crazy he just loved talking about music and he was cool with us asking him any questions we wanted. He was, he was welcoming to us asking band questions. He knew we were really excited. And he was very gracious about it. Like, it was pretty awesome. Amazing. That must have been very special. One of the most uh, meaningful and special encounters of my life, for sure, man. Yeah. It really was. How does your hometown influence your sound and your songwriting? It does a lot. Nova Scotians and East Coasters in general are real. They're very different. I think regionally everywhere is kind of different. It just how and where you grow up says a lot and the na- nature's impact on people. And East Coasters are very rugged and have a kind of a unique sense of humor and also very laid back and very devoted to music. There's also a certain simpleness to us too that I find endearing and, and I find... Um, I get kind of spooked socially sometimes, so I really like Nova Scotia's and the East Coast because everybody's very um, laid back and cool and very patient, you know. I write a lot about my surroundings and what I'm going through and things I'm seeing, so I think I really cut my teeth playing and grew up playing in Nova Scotia. I started out playing in a Celtic band. My One of my first bands that I would, out of high school was called Jillick. We were only together for about six months, but we would... We would just play around downtown Halifax and we'd play all the sort of traditional standards, the East Coast kind of tunes. And it was really great. And then I went from that into playing open mics. And it's, you know, uh, you know, a lot of beer soaked college bars there. And it's just a very musical place, you know. I think playing those open mics and having to fight over playing the crowds and the screaming of the crowds and nobody listening to you really helped me kind of develop my voice and get some power behind my voice. And the whole ocean vibe and the ruggedness and the the bleakness and the awesome summers and horrible winters and just a lot of history there too and and I think just all that together encapsulates a, a, just a nice nice nest for a songwriter I think and I feel very lucky to to have grown up there for that the musical community there is also really super tight and uh, you don't get sort of like that competitive vibe that you get sometimes in big cities like. There were no major label records there. There was no major labels in Halifax, and so nobody was like playing shows trying to get the highest bid or whatever. We were just there playing loud and awesome. And I've lived in Vancouver, and I've been all over the place in in Canada, and everybody's got their own scene and pride for where they're from too, like just like I do from from Nova Scotia. But it's also it's what's great about touring. You get to play with bands who've got that same pride I do everywhere, and it makes for pretty cool melting pot of Canadian musicians and cultures and music, you know. It's your own little community of people. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome because it doesn't matter what genre of music you're playing or your age or or your culture or creed or whatever. I think it's just we all love it out there so much and we all respect each other so much that it makes for really awesome and rich musical family. You know, classified just uh, texted me before we go just wondering about some mixing ideas and stuff and I was talking to Mike O'Neill from the Inbreds the other day and 
if I see Mo Kenny on the street, we'll high five and even <laughs> catch up. And it's just a great musical family that are all in each other's corner. And, and uh, you know, I live in Toronto now, but I'm home all the time. And Nova Scotians know that that's my home and it always will be. I miss it every day, man. But I, I, I carry so much of it in my heart that I don't ever feel too far away, I suppose. Amazing. Well, it definitely sounds like you have a a passion and a hunger uh, for music. And that's just really cool to really cool to see. Yeah, I haven't lost it yet, man. You know, it's my biggest fear is that that sparkle or tingle or whatever never goes away to want to write a song or to play a show. It's my favorite thing in my life. And the older I get, the more grateful I am that it's still kind of with me, I suppose, you know. Yeah, I feel very lucky. If people are just discovering you um, through this podcast episode, where's the best place for people to find you online? I, I'm supposed to say like mattmaze.com, but really where I'm at mostly is uh, just Matt Maze Music uh, on Instagram. I don't do Twitter very well. I'm not on the Facebook, but I would say Instagram would be the best place to find me. Yeah. Because I'm kind of on it every day. I try to reply to everybody who writes. Okay, well, it was really awesome to get the chance to talk with you. And hopefully this interesting COVID time, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, is over soon. But until then, just thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> thank, thank you, Spencer. And that was a good interview. You asked good questions. I really enjoyed talking to you. It was, uh, it was good. Thanks, yeah. man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see you hopefully at a show down the line, man. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. Take it easy. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Mays. I'd like to thank Sky Wallace for connecting me with Matt and helping make this conversation happen. For more information on Matt and his music, go to mattmaze.com you can also find him on instagram at mattmaze music did you like this episode if so go to djspencer.ca slash podcast to check out more episodes in my podcast archive now to round out the show here is matt's latest single off of the album dog city called dan and shaniqua have a fantastic day my friends Of me.